And uh, we got married and jumped right into the deep end of ministry. Uh, within just a few months of uh, getting married, we were pastoring our first church. Uh, that wasn't the plan, but that's what happened. Um, uh, we got married and right away went, went, moved to Woodridge, Illinois to be an assistant pastor. Found out the church was in the middle of a split. When all the dust settled, my pastor resigned and the Lord urged us to stay. And so uh, at that point, we'd been married about six months. We had a baby in the oven and um, I'd been only in the ministry for a few months. And, but the Lord said, you know what, this is God's will. So we stayed and God gives grace. Amen. And it was a wonderful time for us to grow. The church grew and, and took time and patience and grace from God. And by God's grace, we were able to see that church strengthened and rebuilt. And, and uh, didn't expect God necessarily to, to move us out into evangelism. I kind of put all that behind me. Um, I felt like God had called me to, to evangelism. Uh, but God had re redirected my path to pastoring. And so I was content to do that as long as the Lord wanted me to. Uh, but around 2019 or so, God began to shift my burden and uh, starting to count up my kids. By that time, we had four and five on the way in 2019. Little Andrew was born in 19. And uh, how does that work? Five kids on the road? I don't know if that's going to work. Maybe I should wait till I've got some gray hair and all the kids are out of the nest. And maybe that's what we should do. But long story short, the Lord just kept leading. And by 2021, the Lord made it clear this was the right time. The church was uh, established and debt-free, and I felt like it was time to let another man step in there and step out. And so that's what we did, and God opened all the doors, and we're just so thankful. Uh, we've been busy the last two years. This is the third year. The, the year's filling up. We're excited about that, and we're just trusting God to put us where we need to be. And one of my burdens, of course, we've been preaching a lot of revival meetings. Uh, summer times, we've done camps and a lot of vacation Bible schools. By the way, I love VBS, one of the best ways to reach kids. Uh, we've seen a lot of kids saved. Uh, but one of the things close to my heart is weekends like this, where we're able to focus on the home, focus on marriage, focus on uh, truth that helps couples and families. Because uh, if you don't get that right, then you're going to have trouble in so many areas. And uh, churches need Family relief, all right? Families, we need relief, amen? God provides it, not us, but God's word provides it. And I'll tell you what, if some families get some, some joy and some blessing and some, some, some heaven-sent revival, boy, that's a church-wide revival pretty soon because that just has a ripple effect across the whole church. And not just the church, it has a generational effect. And so I'm praying that the, the truths this weekend, God will do that in some hearts and lives today. I'm going to preach on a message this morning that it's not just for couples, it's not just for married folks, it's for anybody. Um, and to get started, we'll come to Ephesians 4 in a minute, but if you'd like, go ahead and start in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. There's several phrases from our King James Bible that are actually a part of the English vernacular. Folks who've never read a Bible have probably heard about eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's from the Bible. And they don't understand the context, but they probably heard little phrases like that. Or things such as, turn the other cheek. Uh, that's pretty well known. Of course, Jesus coined that phrase. And it's not, it's not a joke. It's not a punchline, believe it or not. Jesus actually did turn the other cheek, didn't he? All right, so, but there's lots of phrases in the English language that come out of the Bible. And they don't even know us where they came from. One of those phrases might be this. How many of you heard of the fly and the ointment? All right, that's out of the Bible. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. 
and uh, look at verse 1, if you will. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 1, Solomon writes, Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. Just pause for a moment and let that soak in. Is that a Bible verse? That's a Bible verse. I mean, I, I, I'm not looking for humor. The Bible's obviously a serious book, but I think if you have the right personality, you can see little nuggets of humor throughout it. Uh, this one always made me laugh as a kid. You know, I read my Bible because my, thank God for godly parents who taught me to come to church. My dad's a pastor. Uh, pastor's in sunny Hilton Head, South Carolina, by the way. If you ever go on vacation, I know a good church right on the island. But I grew up in a good home, heard the gospel, got saved as a young person, as a child, uh, read my Bible. And whenever I came across this one, I just couldn't help but laugh. I mean, it's just interesting. It's just kind of funny. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. So in this case, he starts with a proverb, believe it or not. The first half of the verse is a proverb, and he applies that proverb in a specific way. Someone who's known and has a testimony of wisdom can make one gaffe or one uh, oops, and it can ruin everything. Of course, it seems like in politics, people can make all kinds of gaffes and still keep their career. But anyhow, it's amazing that, how that works. But the idea is you might have something really good really sweet or really solid, but just one little crack or one little problem could spoil the whole thing. And of course, back then, if you were a lady who could afford it, you might want to have certain ointment or uh, the apothecary. He could make medicines, but in this case, it seems like he's talking about an ointment. It might be a topical cream. Ladies do that sort of thing. And it was a delicate and expensive mixture uh, it might even have some aromatics that make it sweet. It's supposed to not stink, right? It's supposed to smell good, right, ladies? So it has some sweetness to it. Um, and a little bit of reading I've done, sometimes they would even add a little bit of honey, something that would actually be edible, but something sweet that would, they would mix into the ointment. Well, hey, flies can smell that a mile away. And so you had to keep the ointment clean and free of flies. But you know, the good old apothecary, he must have had to step out of the back room and go and talk to a customer for a second, and that customer took up too much time. By the time he gets to the back, his fresh batch is spoiled. There's a fly in there, stinking it up, rotting, and rotting up that delicate perfume. He, it's not fit to be sold to the fine ladies any longer. It's got to be thrown out. Now, what's the point? You can have something very beautiful, very pricely, very precious, and yet something small can ruin the whole thing. You know, the marriage is supposed to be sweet. It can be sweet. It's designed to be sweet. A, a home is designed to be a little slice of heaven. God wants your home to be a haven of rest. It's nice to be able to come home and, if you can imagine this, maybe it's real, maybe it's not to you, but come home into a house where there's harmony. There's maybe even a beautiful song playing. We have technology now. We can have beautiful music playing from our, our phones or our CD player. Anybody still have a CD player? We've got a good old five CD CD changer. We're old-fashioned. We like the CDs and all that. 
But it's nice to come home and, and maybe I, I can smell the beautiful smell from the kitchen. Praise God for ladies who can cook. Amen. When I got married, I was skin and bones. And then <clears throat> a few years of pastoral maturity happened to kind of pile on. And it comes from good old fashioned home cooking. Amen. You come home, there's a beautiful song playing, Christ honoring music. Uh, my wife likes to have little candles throughout the place, right? There's beautiful smells wafting from the kitchen. And now imagine with me, all the children playing nicely on the floor. <laughs> you know, they're laughing and complimenting one another. And, oh, no, you can have my toy. That's fine. And oh, let's share this together. And uh, now I know this sounds ridiculous because it doesn't sound very realistic from what we've experienced. But wouldn't it be nice to come home and just have a little slice of heaven on earth? Beautiful aromas and beautiful sounds and beautiful harmony. And yet, the reality is you might have some of those elements going on, but it only takes one rotten moment, a rotten word, a foul attitude to stink the whole thing up. Have you ever sat down to a Thanksgiving dinner and boy, you had all the fixings, the turkey, it's all beautiful. Everybody comes in from out of town and there's room for everybody. But somebody, maybe it was you, somebody brought an attitude. And it stunk the whole place up. Oh sure, the, the turkey was good, but it was a little awkward at the table. You know, the fellowship should have been sweet, but there were unspoken things being said between eyes and faces and words that weren't really said or, or tones that were used. And, oh, what a heartbreak. All the hard labor, all the anticipation for good times, and yet it doesn't take much to wreck it, does it? In fact, some people really go through times of anxiety at, at Christmas time. They don't want to go to the family gathering. It's too much drama. You know, they just don't want to rake up the past. And they know somebody's going to rake up the past. And, and they just don't want to have that, all that drama. doesn't matter how good the food is. seems like something always spoils it. Well, Ephesians chapter 4 deals with something I'm going to call unforgiveness. Now, you could call it bitterness. And that's the same thing, really. But I'm going to call it unforgiveness because... It's the opposite of forgiveness. If you're going to have a sweet time of fellowship with husband and wife and with the kids around or the grandkids, one thing I can guarantee is every person in that room is a sinner. I don't know any of you here today, but I guarantee, according to the Bible, every person assembled here today is a sinner. How much of a sinner? A dirty, rotten sinner. We all are sinful and corrupt and selfish by nature, so much so that apart from Christ and his payment on the cross, all of us would be worthy of hell eternally. We're all sinners. How can you have sweet harmony with a bunch of selfish people? It'll take a miracle, wouldn't it? It starts with the miracle of Jesus giving his life and providing salvation. It's really hard to have fellowship, honestly, if you don't have that one thing in common. Praise God for Christian homes. And what that means is it's not just we talk about Christ, but hopefully mom and dad are saved. Christ is their love, their Lord, their Savior. And therefore, Christ can be the center of their relationship. 
But what's the whole basis of our relationship with Christ? Isn't it the fact that he has forgiven us? Right? We're not striving after his approval, hoping that he lets us in the back door of heaven. We're not trying to earn his favor. The whole basis of our relationship with Christ is we've cast ourselves on his mercy. He died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. And he offers 100% forgiveness. And the Bible says reconciliation to God through simple faith in Christ. That's the salvation plan. That's why I can have a relationship with him. It's because of forgiveness. Forgiveness is the bedrock of my relationship with Christ. Unforgiveness towards Christ would simply mean I've not received him. And there's a whole world out there that doesn't know Christ, and we, the Bible calls them lost, without hope, without God in the world. Do they enjoy fellowship with God? No. Why? entered into that relationship based on his, uh, his offer of forgiveness. When there's unforgiveness... The relationship is impossible. Unforgiveness really becomes the fly in the ointment. You can have all the elements, all the possibilities, all the people, all the good food, maybe the beautiful music. You can have the setting just right. But unforgiveness wrecks it, causes it to stink. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about the reason forgiveness needs to be offered. Look at verse 32. The punchline is the very end of verse 32. But look at verse 32. It says, And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, say the word, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath, what? Forgiven you. Forgiveness is the answer. Forgiveness produces the sweet savor, the sweet fragrance of a, of a healthy home. Forgiveness produces it. But why is forgiveness needed? Well, you know why. We're sinners. Just look back a few verses. Talking about Christians who are saved, we have a new nature, hallelujah, we have a new, a new heart, a new home, and yet we need to daily deal with the old habits of the flesh. Look at verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, that's the old lifestyle, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How are we renewed in the spirit of our mind? Well, let's see. Our mind is where we think. So what should we be thinking about? What has the power to change your thinking? You've got to have something new to think about. Amen? Right? If you're saved because you heard the gospel. And you're gonna, the only way you can go forward is by the renewing of your mind. I need this book to change my thinking, and so do you, on a daily basis. I don't need to get saved again. Hallelujah, once you're saved, you're held in his hand eternally. But I do need to be refreshed by this book. And so we put off the old man by flooding our mind with heavenly thoughts. That comes from this book. Daily renewing our mind. Verse 24, that she put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. I'm so glad that when we got saved, he gave us a new nature. If you're saved, Jesus is in you. The Spirit of God is in you. The new nature is already in you. But we need this book to help bring it out. We need this book to teach us how to put it on or to get it from the inside out. 
And that's a process, isn't it? It's a daily process of putting off and putting on, identifying with who he has made us to be. Verse 25, wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Hmm. When somebody lies about you, does it hurt? Absolutely. That's why forgiveness is necessary. Because people lie. It's hurtful. I've heard of lies destroy churches. Rumors, gossips, exaggerations. Faults given, accusations given without context. It's a lie. And if you're the subject of that lie, if you're the one who's been hurt by, by words, you're going to have a, a tough time being around the one who has spread that lie. We need forgiveness because of sinful people who do things like this. And any one of us can do it. Anyone, any one of us can be on the receiving end of it. Verse 25, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So, somebody's lying about you, you're going to have to deal with that, and it's going to have to require some forgiveness. Somebody's angry with you, or you're angry with them. What's the answer? It's going to be forgiveness. So much so that he says, look, this anger is a problem. This anger is an emergency that has to be dealt with before the sun goes down. You know, this is February now. Uh, I had a chance to preach on New Year's Eve at a church, and I, and I preached about this verse about how, hey, look, it's New Year's Eve. The whole year ahead of us is a blank slate. Isn't that great? It's like that clean snow that no one stepped in yet. Isn't that a pretty sight? Untouched, unmarked. But the problem is, if you don't deal with the anger of today, you're going to push it into tomorrow. You're going to wreck that clean slate. You're going to take the hurts and the grievances of today and yesterday, and instead of diffusing that by the grace of God, we're going to put it off and go to bed, if you can sleep at all. And then you wake up, and you've taken all the hurt of yesterday and pushed it into tomorrow. God says don't do that. Wouldn't that bless your homes if every day really was a clean slate? Wouldn't that be a blessing? Wouldn't it be great if every day your wife got a clean slate from you? Where you, you gave your husband, lady, uh, ladies, a truly clean slate. You didn't take his failures of the past and push it into tomorrow. You gave your children a clean slate. That's what forgiveness is, by the way. Aren't you glad that God has taken your slate of sin and washed it clean? Aren't you glad he's taken every sin and he has put it out of his remembrance? I don't know how that's possible for a God who knows everything to forget. And I don't believe he can truly forget. And yet he says he will not call it again to mind. He's going to bury it in the depths of the deepest sea. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Hallelujah! Did you know that God does not push your past transgressions into tomorrow. They're already wiped clean by the blood of Christ. He's already given you a clean slate. But see, anger, when not dealt with today, gets pushed into tomorrow. 
There's all kinds of things that are said that sound wise, perhaps, at the first time we hear it. Things such as, time heals all wounds. Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. According to this book right here, according to this verse, time certainly does not heal the anger wound. It says, don't push it into the next day. Deal with it before the sun goes down. I think what really happens with anger, when we don't deal with it quickly through forgiveness, in the process of restoration, whatever that takes, when we don't deal with it quickly, oh, we, we might feel like it's been healed, but what we've done is we've, we've pushed it deep underground. It's not necessarily at the top of your mind, but it's down there simmering. And then when the offense occurs again, because it will, it gets added to the pile. It gets more and more building up, kind of like a, a bunch of lava that's just waiting to blow. It's there. It's amazing how many civilizations are, 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 and neighborhoods around the world are built on the side of a volcano. Talk about faith. <laughs> well, it hasn't blown for the last 500 years. We're probably good. Yeah, well, it's going to blow someday, and then you are not probably good. You know, it's not going to work. But they live there every single day with the possibility of an explosion. It's amazing. But you take this anger from the lies or the hurtful words that have been said, and, and you haven't dealt with it. You just push it down, push it down, push it down. I heard this phrase, and I, I, I looked it up, and I guess it's a phrase from a movie. So, you know, Hollywood never lie to you. Oh, oh, it would? Okay. It's a phrase that I, I, I heard it and I thought, that's interesting. You know how things get shared around on Facebook and whatnot. And, and the phrase said, Love's, love means never having to say you're sorry. That what? What kind of relationship is that? I guess it's from a movie, a romance film of some sort. I'm not recommending you check it out. Sounds like it has bad wisdom. Love means never having to say you're sorry. And I guess the idea there is that if you're really in love with someone, you're not going to nitpick them and, and demand forgiveness. We ought to grant each other grace. Amen? And yet I've found that any relationship that you really care about, there will be offenses. And you should say you're sorry. Uh, I don't see how any real relationship can go forward in a genuine way without forgiveness. And sometimes you need to say you're sorry. This world has all kinds of wisdom that didn't come from God. Surprising? Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. You might say, what does it mean to be angry and sin not? Does that mean be angry but don't punch him? I mean, what does that mean? You know, be angry but don't hit him? Uh, what's the sin part? Some would say that anger is a sin, and I would say normally it's a sin, except for the fact that God is angry with the wicked every day. God doesn't sin. So we know at least God can be angry and sin not. Agreed? We know that Jesus was angry when he wove together the short cord and dro drove the, the, the riffraff and the money changers out of the temple. And he did that twice, by the way, at the beginning of his ministry and then right at the end. He did it twice. And he's, the Bible says he had anger Righteous anger. So I know God is able to be angry and not sin. I'm not God. Okay, neither are you. 
It's very hard for us sinners to be angry without sinning. But I really think in the context of this verse itself, the sin he's talking about is this very thing of not dealing with it. There's lots of ways you could be angry and sin. Be angry and punch him or be angry and say something hurtful. Those are sins too. But in this context, the sin he's talking about, I believe, is the sin of not dealing with it. The sin of not diffusing it before the sun goes down, which simply means as soon as possible, if possible, get it dealt with quickly. The greatest sin is pushing it into the next day. We have all kinds of emotions. I'm not going to try to get psychological with you here today, but didn't God give us emotions? Are they, are they in themselves wrong? God built us, made us in his image. He's given us a sense of justice. God is a God of justice. God's anger, by the way, is tied to his justice. We also have a sense of justice. Some of us have a very strong sense of justice. That's why we're angry all the time. Uh, But uh, we have a very strong sense of justice. God is angry. We get angry when we feel like something's not fair, when something's not right. And so, without trying to dismiss it too much, there's something about that human response of anger that is sort of human and sort of normal. In other words, if someone were to come over to my car with a baseball bat and just start smashing it, it would be slightly weird for me to laugh. Right? (laughs) Oh, that's great. Hit it again. That's great. I'll just smash it. Just let it all out. Uh, Look, if I'm laughing when someone's smashing my car, I might need help. It's natural to feel a sense of anger that this shouldn't be happening. The point is, when that anger wells up, what do we do about it? Usually, everything that we do about it is sin. But the worst sin in this context is that you just push it forward, push it deeper, push it outward. And then instead of it being dealt with when it's small, pretty soon the whole world has to pay. The whole family has to pay. (laughs) The whole church has to pay because you pushed it out into tomorrow. Let's keep rolling because we're going to get to this point of forgiveness. What does it mean but boy, we sure need it. We, need, we, we, all, we all appreciate it when someone forgives us, but we need to learn how to extend it. Someone's going to lie about you. Someone's going to offend you. Someone's going to hurt you. He mentioned stealing, but just for time's sake, obviously if someone stole from you, that's going to be a hurtful situation. But look down to verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. I just love this picture. Don't use corrupt communication. Corrupt means to, to, to decay, to spoil, to hurt, to, to ruin. But rather, your words should be good for edification. That's a good Bible word. It means to build up, to, to make something better than it was before, to improve, to help, to nurture. And then it says that your words might minister grace unto the hearers. How does that work? 
Anybody here ever worked in some sort of, as a, as a waiter, waitress, what do they call them nowadays, a server, okay? Anybody ever done that, had to wait tables? And what's your job? Your job is to, to top off their coffee before they ask. Your job is to make sure they don't run out of needed supplies. If, if you're working at um, um, Olive Garden, your job is to make sure they always have those wonderful Olive Garden uh, roll breadsticks. Endless breadsticks. And so you're ministering to them the things that they need or want gladly and with a willing heart. And the Bible is saying your words need to be little gifts from God to others. God's the giver of grace, mercy, goodness, love. All of that is his grace. My words are to take a little bit of his love and give it to you. My word should take a little bit of his mercy and give it to you. You just fill in the blank. Whatever God has, you probably need. Amen? Right? And my job is to use my words to give you a little piece of it. What a beautiful picture. Not tearing down, but building up. Not depleting and draining, but rather bringing the very grace of God to people through the words that you say. Wow. But that doesn't happen, does it? That's why we need forgiveness. We tear people down. And the sad thing is the closer you are to someone, and ironically, the more you actually love that person, the more likely you will destroy them with your words. Isn't it ironic? Every mother here would say they love their kids. And yet, mothers can destroy their kids' hearts with a word. Every father would say that he loves his child. Every father would say that he would give his life for the success and the well-being of his, of his child. And yet, fathers can destroy the heart and mind of their sons or daughters. Words are powerful things. You could probably still remember some of the hurtful things said to you by the bully in preschool. It's amazing how they stick with you. The hurtful things seem to stick. Well, how do we turn this corner? Well, first of all, number, verse 30. If we're going to get to this thing called forgiveness, we've got to start with the Holy Spirit. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let's be honest. We wouldn't be saved without the Holy Spirit. We'd be lost. We needed the Holy Spirit to accompany the working of the, whole, uh, the preaching of the gospel so that we could understand it and be convicted and be born again. You can't be born again without the Holy Spirit. And you can't grow without the Holy Spirit. And if you're going to have this thing called forgiveness, if you're going to remove that foul thing called unforgiveness, we're going to need his help, that's for sure. And yet, it's that very anger that we hold on to that grieves him. Thank the Lord, he's not going to leave you. What does it say? Grieve not the Holy Spirit, because if you do, he's going to leave. Is that what it says? No. Grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. He's the seal of the fact that you're God's child. He's never leaving you. Amen? He's never leaving you. So it's not about 
pushing him away. It's about bruising, breaking his heart. To grieve is a word that every mother and father understands. Grief is impossible without love. Grief is the sadness you feel when someone you love has hurt you. That's grief. The Bible says that when we carry on these words and these actions of of hurting one another and we build up this bitterness, oh yes, we're hurting others, but guess who we're hurting first? Who is it? We're hurting him. We're bringing grief to the heart of God. It reminds me of what David said as as he confesses his sin in in Psalm 51. He says, uh, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And I remember reading that thinking, well, you didn't just sin against the Lord. You also sinned against Bathsheba and, and, uh, and um, forgive me, her husband, the Hittite, uh, Uriah. You sinned, among, you sinned against a lot of people in that sin. There were lots of individuals who were hurt. You sinned against your wife. You sinned against your children. And yet, in that moment of contrition, he says, no, 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 I've sinned against God Almighty. Yes, I've hurt all these people, but I've sinned against God. And I tell you what, when we realize that our sin, our anger, our pettiness, our bitterness, it's not just about their feelings, although that's important. I am breaking the heart of God. And here's the sad reality. When we get full of bitterness, we get tough. We get insensitive towards everyone else's feelings, but the greatest sadness is we are toughened towards the Holy Spirit. Grieve the Holy Spirit. I I don't even remember that I had the Holy Spirit. You get full of bitterness, full of anger. You're not thinking about grieving him. You forgot he's even with you. Because you've pushed his voice aside, you've grieved him, you've, you've, you've just pushed him, a lot, pushed him aside. And that's, by the way, that's why we need the preaching of God's word. Because sometimes we've grieved the Holy Spirit so long, we're so indifferent to his voice, we need a wake-up call. We need preaching, we need teaching, we need church, amen? We need God's people to get together so that God can use the voice of, a, of another man preaching his word. Because we get numb, to the fact that we've grieved the Spirit of God. We've grieved Him. When our kids were little, it's funny the things they say, and, and sometimes you think, oh, i got to write that down, and you never do, but uh, so, some of the fun things that kids say. And uh, we have three at home, and, and Timothy's our, our third born, and when he was about Andrew's age, uh, he was... Uh, he got saved about four and a half or so. He and very sincerely trusted Christ as Savior as a young age. By the way, that can happen. Uh, kids can get saved can get saved early, and he just had a real sensitivity to the Lord. And I remember it was so funny. He'd be doing something, and uh, we would hear him say, "He would look up. He'd go, sorry, God, <laughs> and keep on walking." And he wasn't being sarcastic. He was just like, "Oops, I did wrong, did did something wrong." Sorry, God. <laughs> and we would laugh because he, he was sensitive. Oops, I did wrong. Sorry, God. He was sensitive to the fact that God was with him, that God saw what he said or heard what he said and, and, and wasn't pleased. And boy, wouldn't it be great if the Lord restored a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit? 
I don't want to grieve you, Lord. I don't want to continue to, to repress and to push you down. You know, he's pictured in the Bible, pictured only, but pictured as the dove. At Jesus' baptism, you had the voice of God the Father, you had Jesus coming up out of the water, and you had the dove settle down upon his, um, on his shoulder. And, and the dove is just a picture of gentleness, tenderness. And yet with all these harsh words to with all this anger, we're just bruising the sensitive, the sweet, gentle Holy Spirit. It starts with an awakening to the fact that we've grieved the Lord. And we, it, ought, it ought to grieve us that we've grieved him. Number two, we have to recognize that this bitterness is a problem. Verse, 30, verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now, putting away might be a process, that's for sure, but it starts with acknowledgement. This is a problem. This exists, and I'm not justified. So, wait a minute, wait, 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 that last part, I do have some justification. People said things to me, they've never gotten it right, I've been hurt. And look, looking out at this crowd, I don't know your stories, but I guarantee you there are some really heavy Hurtful things represented in this room that people have to deal with every day. And sometimes it happened to the person that you're married to. And you're, you're, you're committed till death do us part, but boy, he or she, I'll never forget what they've done. I get that. And yet if we are not willing to acknowledge the sin of it, we'll never be able even to start with the confession of it, much less to put it away by the grace of God. Look at this uh, progression. Let all bitterness, that's that sour feeling, that rottenness of mood. You know, bitter. <laughs> it just kind of lurks beneath the surface. But it doesn't stay there long because it erupts into something called wrath. Remember, you push it down, you push it down, you push it down, then what do you get? Boom! It's called wrath. It's amazing how the word such as wrath, when it's coming from us, sounds so evil. Because it is. But isn't God a God of wrath? Is God evil? No. Does God have the right to pour out wrath? Yes, he does, and here's why. He's God. Remember, when we sin, we've sinned against who? God. He's the king. He's on the throne. And when God's sense of justice has been violated, God has the right to pour out wrath. Aren't you glad he holds it back most of the time? And yet there is a place of wrath called hell. And there's a day of wrath that's stored up that will come. But right now, aren't you glad he holds it back? But he has the right to pour out wrath because he's God. But here's the irony, folks. When we pour out wrath, we're acting like little gods. Look what you have done to me. How dare you offend me? I have my rights. I'm the man of the house. Or I'm the woman of the house and you can't treat me that way. And, and we have all these feelings of rights. And technically, yes, we have those rights as far as 
the, it's the right thing to do. Someone ought to treat you a certain way. And yet, ultimately, in the big picture, who am I? What rights am I talking about? From God's perspective, you know what my right is? The wages of sin is death. The only thing I really deserve is God's judgment eternally. That's all I really deserve. And yet we pour out wrath like little kings, like little princes, like little gods. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. Oh, that's a good word. That's a descriptive word. Clamor. Reminds me of uh, movie night when I was a kid. Once in a while we'd have family movie night. We'd be careful what we watch, of course. But we'd all be settled in and uh, the movie would start. And about 15 minutes into the movie, my dad would realize, hey, we need popcorn. So he would leave the family living room, go to the kitchen, and he always made popcorn the old-fashioned way, all right? You get the saucepan, you put a little oil in there, put, it, put in the, the kernels, put the lid on, and then comes the shaking and the rattling. Did you know you're supposed to rattle it as it starts to pop because you want to get all that? I don't know if you have to rattle it or not, but my dad rattled that thing. And I'm telling you what, the clamor. We're trying to watch the movie, and we got bang, 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 as the whole kitchen is having a little earthquake because Dad is making popcorn. And of course, you know what we did? First, we're like, Dad, stop. I'm making popcorn. Okay. So just pause the movie and wait, because you can't hear a thing until that clamor is done. And then we enjoyed the popcorn. But you know what? Some people's houses sound like that. Maybe that was this morning. <laughs> Maybe it was last night. It's clamor. Oh, yeah, there are doors slamming, there are ceilings rattling, there are voices shouting. I'm not talking about your neighbor's house. I'm talking about the homes of Christians. And the sad thing is, the loudness and the, la and the clamor, it'll be ringing in, the, in your kids' ears long after they leave your home. Because of anger, bitterness, clamor, evil speaking. Oh, we have to put it away from you. That's a repentance. That's, a, that's an acknowledgement of sin. That's where the old-fashioned altar call is still good. Say, so, oh, Lord, forgive me. I'm not going to be able to forgive others until I recognize I've got some, some blame before you. We've got to recognize the bitterness, the wrath, the anger, the clamor, the evil speaking, and be willing to put it away. And I know there's a lot to that, but it starts with confession. You can't put something away you haven't set before the Lord and say, oh God, forgive me. And then there's the opportunity for, for grace and cleansing. Then there's clarity, and then there's the Holy Spirit's help for the next step. And know what that is? Verse 32. Be kind one to another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I'm going to give you three quick steps for forgiveness. First of all, or quick thoughts about forgiveness. First of all, forgive because it's the kind thing to do. Do you know it's, it's a nice thing to extend forgiveness to someone? Have you ever, helped, have you, have you ever received forgiveness from somebody else? Wasn't it nice? <laughs> Aren't you glad they didn't hold her over your head? It's kind. What's the opposite of kindness? Well... The word that came to my mind was cruelty. 
It is possible to withhold forgiveness from someone. It's not nice. It can be just about cruelty. Now, I won't do this today because a while back I did this, but little, little Evelyn will remember. I, I had her come up on the platform, and I won't do it today because I think I traumatized her a little bit. But I had little Evelyn come up on the platform, and I said, now, y'all, for, imagine that she did something wrong. I know that's impossible to imagine, but, you know, imagine that a, that a child did something wrong. And she, she disobeyed mommy and daddy, and so I was angry with her, and I walked away, and I just turned my back to her. Okay. And the whole day, she talks to me. I'm not talking to her. Daddy, no, I'm going to go in the next room and close the door. Dinner time, I won't look at her. Night time, I kiss everybody goodnight, except her. And I was doing this, and as I'm doing this, I didn't realize that she was standing over here holding back tears. <laughs> she took it a little too serious. Uh, I wouldn't do that. Would you? To withhold forgiveness and to just say, wait a minute, you're still busted. I still remember the next day, I still know what you're made of. I'm not going to forget that so quick. Folks, unforgiveness is not the kind thing to do. It's hurtful. And here's the sad reality. That's why we do it. Because our sense of justice says, yeah, I hope it stings. Yeah, I hope it hurts. That's, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to forgive them eventually because I know it's the right thing to do, but not now. I'm going to make them hurt a little longer. Folks, it's not Christ-like. It's hurtful. It's downright cruel. Oh, you might feel like it's justice, but are you God? Is it your job to lounce out the wrath and the justice? Is that your job? No. Forgive them because it's the kind thing to do. Secondly, forgive them because it's the compassionate thing to do. The Bible word is tenderhearted. I love that word. It's compassion. It means that even though what they did hurt you, you choose to have a holy imagination and you choose to imagine that they themselves may have some hurts as well. You've heard it said, and I think this is a, 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 a truism that's pretty much true, hurting people hurt people. That is true. Now, their hurt doesn't justify the fact that they used it to hurt you. I'm not saying it justifies it. But I believe God wants us to have a certain amount of holy imagination that it says, yes, what they said hurt me. Yes, what they did hurt me. But you know what? They're not perfect either. They've been through it. They've got things they're dealing with, and I'm going to not add to their pain by holding this over their head. I'm going to have a tender-hearted, compassionate response. Forgiveness is the compassionate thing to do, but lastly, of course, it's the Christ-like thing to do. Verse 32, be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. This is where it all starts. If I can gather with God's people and, say, and sing the songs of the faith, and if I can say, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul, if I can bask in the forgiveness of God, I have no, zero right to withhold forgiveness from someone else. I can't. I could, but it's not right. 
Say, okay, now you're just guilt tripping me. I'm not trying to guilt trip you. What I'd rather do is this. I'd rather help ask you by the grace of God once again to use that holy imagination and just look at the cross for a minute. We need to gaze on Jesus. Not so that we can have a sense of guilt, but rather a sense of love. A sense of deep gratitude that Jesus died for me. I'm a sinner. I'm worse than the sinners who've never read this Bible. Did you know that? Because they might do things out of ignorance. But I've read this Bible before several times. Have you? And I don't know if, if I'm alone here, but as a Christian, born again, going to heaven, I've read this book and I still sin. I, I, I personally think that makes me a worse sinner than the sinners out there. And I'm so glad that I'm still forgiven. Are you? How can I withhold what he's given to me? And the last little thought here, and I think it's helpful. You say, well, I just can't do it. I can't drum it up. Brother Barber, if you knew, and when I see that person, when I hear their name, the memories just can't help but flood back. Sometimes it's like a wound that you thought was closed, but then you see that person, you hear their name, and it just pops open, and it's bleeding all over again, and, and I just can't help it. How can I just drum up this forgiveness? Let me just give you this little thought. It's helped me. Look at this phrase. Even as God... Say the next phrase out loud with me. Ready? Even as God... For Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now, I want you to think about this before we close. I know God loves us. For God so loved the world. Okay, he loves us. But there's a certain facet to this salvation thing we, we all take for granted. And that is, yes, God loves you. And yet, you and I, our sinful, rotten hearts, don't inspire his love. He loves us in spite of those things. Do you realize God doesn't love you because you're so lovable? That's not how it works. In fact, my sin is so reprehensible, he would be just to send me to hell, and he would do it, if not for Christ. The point is this. God does not look on me to find inspiration to forgive me. Does that make sense? Know where God, he looks on his son. God Almighty remembers the cross. And Jesus, who's alive and is transfigured in his glorified body, he still bears the marks of that cross, doesn't he? The blood has been shed and God looks on sinners. But then for Christ's sake, he gladly forgives us. And all I can say is, if you're having trouble forgiving that one, get your eyes off of them for a second and look on Jesus. Do what God does and forgive them for Christ's sake. God says, my son died for you. He shed his precious blood for you. I love him. And so I love you. And that works, folks. I've tried it. You should try it. You know what? What you've done and hurt has messed me up. Maybe you live with the results of what they did. But you know what? I know Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. He died for me just like he died for you. And for Christ's sake, I will gladly forgive you.
We've got to get our eyes back on the one who hung on that old rugged cross. Folks, forgiveness is possible. And as far as I can tell, forgiveness is the only thing that really clears the air and brings the sweetness back. Has something been bringing a, a darkness, a, a stench, a foulness to your relationship? Maybe there's some forgiveness that you can extend by the grace of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you that you went to the cross for us. That you offer total and complete cleansing and forgiveness to those who have trusted in you. Lord, how could we truly withhold that from those we say we love? And yet we do. Lord, the, the hurts are real. The offenses are real. But your grace is just as real. Lord, teach us to do the, the kind, the compassionate thing, the Christ-like thing, and extend that forgiveness that you've given to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe there's someone here that would say, you know, Brother Barber, honestly, if I died right now, I don't even know I'm going to heaven. I can't even say for sure that, that Jesus is my Savior. I'm not sure that if I die that I'll go to heaven. I'm not sure that I've been forgiven and I'm concerned about that. Now, if there's someone out there like that, you say, you know, I'm, not just, I just not, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. I'm not sure I'm saved. I'd like to be able to pray for you. I don't know who you are, but if you'll just raise your hand real quiet, I won't point you out, but I'd like to pray for you. Anybody at all? I'm not sure I've ever been saved, but I'd like to pray for me. Anybody like that? Just raise it up. Anyone? All right, I don't see that hand. I don't see it, but if you're there, we do want to help you. Maybe there's a Christian. You'd say, you know what? There's been some things in my life, some hurts. There's been something that has soured the relationships in my life. God showed me some things this morning. Pray for me. Would you raise your hand? So God showed me something this morning. Amen. Amen. Let me ask it this way. Maybe there's someone who would say, you know, there's someone in my life that I need to forgive. There's someone in my life that I need to forgive. Pray for me. Would you raise your hand? Anyone? Amen. Lord, you saw these hands. Now, Lord, we ask that you would take this further than we could ever go on our own. Take it all the way to the victory side, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor.